We're going to spend a fair part of our time this morning reviewing verses 3 through 11 to kind of catch us back up to speed. If you missed any of the sermons uh, up until this point, you can go check them out. They're on our website on the sermons uh, page. So we're using the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus as a backdrop as we examine the kingdom of God. And this study of God's kingdom, which is also God's family, is going to be divided into three parts. And we are in the first part of this three-part series. So part number one is kingdom kids. That's the the part we're in. We're looking at God's choice of and adoption of each of us into his family as his children. That's the kingdom kids subseries. The the next section we'll go into in the, the months ahead or weeks ahead is kingdom family. And we'll be looking at God's family plans as we grow together in Jesus as a family. And then the third part of this three-part series is called Kingdom Come. And we'll examine God's kingdom plans as we then, as a family, go with our Father out into the world, engaging in His heart and um, His activity, outward focus. And so those are the three aspects of this kingdom series. Kingdom kids, kingdom family, kingdom come. Now, Paul explains these things to the Christians in Ephesus by writing a letter, and the letter that he writes is all about Jesus. Now, here's the idea behind writing a letter about Jesus to this church. The idea is if we understand Jesus, then we understand the love of the Father. If we understand Jesus, we understand the plans of the Father. If we understand Jesus, we understand the approval of the Father for us. We understand his purpose for us. Understanding Jesus helps us understand the heart of God, not just for us and toward us, but also as we move through the book of Ephesians, we'll see for all peoples and all nations. And if we don't get Jesus, then we miss out on it all. And so Paul just starts this letter off by riffing on Jesus. The first 12 verses make it obvious that it is not a letter about us. Uh, He starts the letter to the church by carefully and clearly exalting Jesus. It's probably the most Christ-centered passage in the entire Bible, referring to Jesus ten times in twelve verses. So the book of Ephesians is all about the glory and the work of Jesus. Make no mistake of that. The introduction to to the letter makes that crystal clear. And so as we learn about and as we respond to and enjoy and grow in the glory and the work of Jesus, we will then discover the truth about who we are in Christ. We will find our place in the household of God and in the family of God. We will see our incredible place in our Father's kingdom as the King's children. And it is only in Christ that we see ourselves rightly. And as we've named this first part of the series, we find ourselves and see ourselves and start to think of ourselves as kingdom kids. So we've been examining this text verse by verse because there's so much vital detail in it. And so today we're going to read through the passage starting in verse 3 um, and, and kind of recap what we've studied to this, up to this point, And then we'll look at verse 12. And so Ephesians chapter 1. I'll be reading and and teaching primarily from the Christian Standard Version, the CSB. Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons, through Jesus Christ, for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace that he's lavished on us in the beloved one. And in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Verse 11, it says, in him we also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Now here's our text for today. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ, those of us who believe in Christ, might bring praise to his glory. And so we're going to go to the Lord now and ask the Holy Spirit to instruct us in these things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're so thankful for these words. We praise you, God, for the reality of your love, for the reality of your incredible sacrifice, for the reality of your salvation, the rescue that you offer to us. We pray this morning that, Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts and in our minds, that you would move through the, the preaching and teaching of your word, God, that, that you, it would be your words, that it would be your ideas, that it would be your steps that you lead us to take today. We love you, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I recently re was reading and um, got distracted by a, a news story from 2011. S super interesting to me anyway. And in 2011, there was this guy who woke up in a park in, in Seattle, and he was confused. He's in his seemed to be in his 50s. He's wearing uh, like pressed khaki pants and this nice dress shirt and a blazer. He doesn't have any ID on him, no wallet, no uh, passport, nothing like that. And there's $600 cash in his sock, one of his socks. And he's kind of walking around the park and he flags down a city bus. Again, he's confused. And um, the people kind of have mercy on him and they, someone takes him to the hospital. And at the hospital, as they're, they're, they're examining him, there's no signs of trauma. There's no obvious reason for him to, to be this confused. Uh, there's no bonk on the head or anything like that. He has no memory of what happened. As they're talking to him, they discover that he speaks three, la three other languages besides English fluently. And they start discovering these details about other cities that he's lived in. I mean, minute details about living in Singapore and living in Beijing and things like that. Very well-traveled. He knew specific things about specific places. He seemed smart, even brilliant, as he answered these questions. And so, just, just, just get that picture in your head right now. Here's this guy sitting in the hospital, well-dressed, smart, interesting, 600 bucks in a sock, probably wealthy, probably well-loved, successful man. And the news media is all over this. They, they covered it. Um, I'd never heard of it until the other day, but... Um, Thankfully, someone that knew the guy saw the news, and this is a guy in China, uh, that this, this gentleman, the confused guy, had taught English in China to this man a few years ago. And so the guy discovers his name. His name is Edward Lightheart. Discovers that he's 53 years old, and he learns that he is financially successful. He learns that he is loved and missed by friends and family. So he's united with his sister, and his wife had passed. 
and his children and, uh, and, and his friends, his, this community of friends, none of whom he recognized or had specific memories of. And so there really was nothing that the medical doctors were able to do for him, and so they just kind of released him to his family. And so Edward Lightheart, this brilliant, talented, gifted, well-loved man, started his journey to learn how to walk in his true identity. He had to focus on who he was. He had to, like, remember his name. He had to remember his age. He had to remember the things that people said he liked. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to set goals. He had to learn how to operate as this successful, smart, well-loved man. Now, uh, from my understanding, which uh, is probably very uninformed, that sort of amnesia with no signs of trauma is very rare. However, it really stuck out to me because there does seem to be a form of amnesia that affects many Christians perhaps every one of us even from time to time. We seem to forget who we really are in Christ. It seems to be the reason that the Apostle Paul starts the book of Ephesians off the way he does, because we can so easily just jam through life, speeding through life, forgetting who we really are. We can forget who we are. We can forget why we're here. We can forget who we are, and we forget whose we are. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when when we're saved, when we ask for the forgiveness of our sins once we're saved, our identities change. We are now set free. We're given a new identity. We're no longer the same people we once were. We no longer have the same life goals we once did. We are a new creation, the Bible says. Now, here's the deal. I've, I've gone through this several times in my life. Some of us, some Christians, we remember God's salvation, but we forget about God's transformation. It's not unlike this well-loved, well-educated, well-traveled, well-dressed, wealthy man waking up in a park and flagging down a bus. And so the Apostle Paul starts this whole deal off by pointing the reader to Jesus because everything happens in Jesus. Paul points to Jesus, like I said earlier, 10 times in the first 12 verses. It's in Jesus where we discover our true purpose and our true identity. It's in Jesus where we discover how to think in rightly in our new identity, how to feel rightly as a Christian in our new identity. And so for, for us to be a Christian is to have our identity wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus. And so as we're studying the book of Ephesians, we're going to make much of Jesus. Our Father, the King, has sent His Son to save us. The Father sends His firstborn Son, is, is the, the picture that the Bible paints for us. The true and rightful heir of the Father is sent down. The older Son, as it were, steps out of heaven, sent by His loving Father to bring us, to bring me, a rebellious kid, an orphan opposed to the things of God, to bring me into the Father's house. The Father's love goes so far as to strip us of all our rebellion. Thank you, Jesus, to change us and make us new and adopt us into his household. And he adopts us not just as that one, well, that's that naughty kid that kind of has that tendency to be an idiot, right? That's not how God sees me. Thank God. He sees me as his own child, as his son, The king has given us full authority. The king has given us full identity. The king has given us full acceptance as children 
in Christ. And so now, our lives in Christ are totally changed. We now spend our lives walking as children of the King. We're now kingdom kids. Just think for a second about the privilege that comes with that. Think for just a second of the privilege that comes from being raised by a king, around a king, with the king, with all of the knowledge and all of the resource that, that comes, that goes in with that. As kingdom kids, we are given every good thing, the Apostle Paul says. We're given full access to our Father, who happens to be the king. We are invited into the passions and the pursuits of our Father. And see, God's not like our earthly fathers, even, even those of you that had really excellent or have really excellent earthly fathers, because God's never distracted from us. He's, he's never frustrated with us. He's never out of town or too busy to invest in us. God is the good father. And so we never need to beg for his attention or for his provision. We have been given everything in Christ everything. He doesn't hold anything back from us. And this, guys, it's important because that is the foundation. That is the starting point of our identity. This idea that God has withheld nothing from us. He has given us everything that we need in Christ. Our identity as Christians is now that we are generously loved children of God. That is who you are. You are generously well-loved. This is the place where our identity is formed. This is the place where our confidence comes from. This is the place where our hope comes from. So with that in mind, here's the big paradigm shift as we, kinda, as we re-enter the book of Ephesians. We have to take our eyes and our hearts off of what we have done. We have to take our eyes and our hearts off of what we're capable of doing, the good things, the bad things. We have to take our eyes and hearts off of our hopes and dreams We have to take our eyes and our hearts off of everything and put them wholly and squarely on Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's systematically replacing the gaze of our hearts and the gaze of our minds off of whatever it is that we're distracted by or we're identifying with, and he's putting it fully upon Jesus for the believer. He's saying everything is in Christ, if you're in Christ. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has already done on your behalf. The King has chosen us. Now, God has adopted us into His family. We are the kids' own children. And so as kingdom kids, our Father has given us all the love and all of the blessing imaginable. Now, and I say that, and those of you that have been in church a long time, you're like, yeah, I know that. God loves me. God loves me. Listen, that, it, it's, it's more than just something that, that you kind of like know intellectually. It's something that you are. You are loved by God. You are valued by God. Tremendous value. You are accepted by God. You're approved, renewed, empowered. That is who you are. As kingdom kids, our lives are not spent begging God for more of himself, but by us yielding more of ourselves to him. He's given us every good thing. And so what is true of us is that we are well-loved children of God, approved, loved, favored children. Now, I have five kids. My youngest is four, and he's the easiest to love because he's still cute. And my oldest is 16. And each of my kids were fully my child, fully my children, as they entered our family. None of them had to earn my love. Now, that's significant 
because of this fact that apart from Christ, I'm an intensely selfish person. And so it's amazing that I'm able to love my kids and accept my kids the way that I do. It's something special that God has wired us with to love and approve of our kids. And I started constantly thinking about each of my kids the moment they entered my life. My kids entered our family as mine. Some of my kids were adopted into my family. Others uh, arrived into my family because God formed them in my wife's womb. But all of them arrived completely my kids. They didn't need to earn their place in my family by hard labor. They, They didn't need to prove their faithfulness by being obedient. All they did was either be born or be adopted. God brought my kids into my family. And listen, here's the point. God brings his kids into his family as well. We are brought by God into the kingdom of God, into God's family. In Christ, we are kingdom kids. That's, that is who we are. This is our true identity. And each of us functions from a place of identity. It's significant to recognize this because whether you have thought about it or not, it is true. Our identity affects the way we think and act. We act and react to life based on who we think we are, who we perceive ourselves to be. Our sense of identity or how we understand ourselves, it affects everything. The way we think, the way we act, the way we interact with one another, it defines our relationships. Identity affects how we deal with our guilt and shame. Identity affects how we deal with a sense of belonging or a sense of exclusion or a sense of withdrawal. Our our sense of identity can affect whether we have hope or whether we carry with us a sense of despair in life. All of us, each of us, have an identity, and we form our identity in different ways. And it forms our perspectives and shapes our decisions in life. In fact, our sense of identity is very complex and multifaceted, and it's even kind of fluid. Now, often we base our identity on several factors, and many of those are positive things. Our finances is is one of the big areas, right? Because we're, you know, if you're smart, you're limited by your finances. That definitely shapes and affects your opinion, your your self-identity. Our income, our bank account balance can shape our self-perceptions shape our actions, shape our interactions, or it might be our appearance. It might be the type of clothes you wear. It affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way we see others. It affects the way we think and act and the way I feel like I might get to know them a little better because they wear the same brand of flannel as I do, right? Like, it's kind of a Ventura thing there. Our career or the influence we have or our talents, right? You might say, I'm a musician or I'm an athlete or, or I'm an artist, and that, that, that's central to who you are. God's gifted you in those ways. Or maybe it's around friends or relationships. Maybe it's around your spouse even. You formed your identity around your spouse. Who loves you? Or maybe it's your, your identity was formed around your spouse, and so now that your spouse has died or left you, you're like, you know, my identity is formed by who doesn't love me anymore. Some of us, it's hard to not form our identity around our parenting or the way we school our kids. There's an endless number of influences in the way that we form our self-identity, our self-perception, how we think about ourselves, how we see ourselves. And these are, for the most part, really good things. Often these are positive and blessings from God in many cases. They're things we're proud of or things we've earned. But here's the point. It's not that those things are bad. But what happens when we formed our identity around these things, and then these things change as they will? Or if these things go away, 
which they will. What happens when we lose the job or the career or the paycheck? What happens when the bank account shrinks? What happens when, when the marriage fails? What happens when, when your spouse dies? If your identity is wrapped up in your spouse, what happens when the kids move out of the house? What happens when age catches up and our looks start to change? See, we're on shaky and unstable ground when our identity is based on anything other than Jesus, even the good things in life. Because everything is undermined when the good things in life change and go away, if that's our foundation. And if we're not very careful, then life's inevitable changes will leave us wondering who we really are. If our identity is built on anything that can change, or if if our identity is anchored on people, or anchored on money, or anchored on circumstances, we can be disillusioned and even crushed once people or money or circumstances change or go away. And if we're not very careful, we might spend our entire lifetime trying to maintain these good things that give us our identity, clinging to the past, clinging to our youthful looks, clinging to our finances, clinging to a job or a, or a business. And when our world starts to fall apart, our identity starts to crumble, and then we panic. And the career man might spend all of his time, all of his energy, sacrificing absolutely everything, leaving nothing for his primary relationships, leaving nothing for his worship life with God, just trying to hold things together. Or the beautiful woman might start getting procedure after procedure to stay youthful, to stay obsessing, spending thousands and thousands of dollars trying to hold on to her identity. Or the business owner might bury himself in debt or start cheating the numbers just to hang on. See, what we draw our identity from eventually becomes so important to us that we do whatever it takes to hold on to it because without it, we don't know who we are. We become desperate. And so here's why that's really scary, because we start to deify these things. We start to, they become idols. We start to really worship them. We exalt them. Parenting, perhaps, might become ultimate. Holding on to our job or money, it it could easily become ultimate. Or good looks or youthfulness, it, it could become ultimate. And those things were all given to us by God. Those things are all blessings for us to enjoy. But none of those good things were given to us by God to be our God. None of those good things, none of those blessings can bear the weight of Godhood. And so none of those things are able to help us form a right identity. Now, many of us do have this tendency to form our identity on the good things in life, but it's also true that some of us uh, form our identity on the more negative things in life or what we lack, what we aren't. Or if you're like me, kind of like schizophrenic with it, you're like both, you know. I give you like the the highs of the pride on one hand, and then just like, oh, despair, and I'm nothing on the other, simultaneously even. But we could see ourselves as less than. We're not good-looking. We don't have a place of honor or position in life. We don't have the money. We're unworthy. We're unwanted. We're unable. We're not good enough. We only look at our weakness, or maybe you only see other people's weakness, or maybe you're, you feel only mediocre, or maybe you only recognize others' mediocrity, or, or shortcomings, or unworthiness. Now, we know this isn't true when we, when we spend time in the Word and we spend time with God. We know that we're new creations, that we're all God's holy people in Christ, that we're all saints 
as the Apostle Paul likes to, to call Christians in Christ. But we don't believe this when our identity is based on what we've earned for ourselves in life and not based on Christ. Because our actions betray our beliefs. And so that's the central issue with both ways that we tend to find our identity. We fail to grasp who we really, truly are. And some of us cling to the successes and blessings for identity. Others of us find our identity in the low places, or perhaps both. But listen, either both, both of those identities are false. As Christians, our identity is in Jesus. And and Paul makes that argument crystal clear in the first 12, 14 verses of Ephesians 1. Who we are flows from whose we are. The Apostle Paul has been jumping up and down to help us understand this. Who we are flows from whose we are. Okay, that longest introduction in the entire world. Now we're going to get to our verse. Verse 12. We've got to get that. Otherwise, verse 12 doesn't make any sense. Paul connects in verse 12. He connects our identity, who we are. He connects it to our purpose, what we do. Why are we here? As kingdom kids... Our lives are a reflection of the king. Look at what he says. Ephesians 1, verse 12. He says, we who had already put our hope in Christ, he's talking to Christians, those of us that have put our hope in Christ for salvation, he's saying that we might bring praise to his glory. Now, the challenge of our lives in Christ is to live from this place of identity as God's child, that we would live, receive those things, that we would operate and function and think upon those things as our identity, as our true identity, just like the man who wakes up with amnesia has to practice and rehearse and remind himself of who he really is. It's a process for us. It's a process to live from a place of knowing that you're fully loved because there's really no other relationship you've ever had where you've been fully, unconditionally, completely loved. You only find that in God. And so we have to rehearse that and, and practice that. And we need to encourage one another in that. It's a process to start living from a place, not only of being fully loved, but being fully approved, not needing to prove ourselves. There's a, it's a process to live from a place of full acceptance You are fully accepted, not because you're awesome, not because you're horrible, not because you're mediocre, not because you're sort of amazing sometimes. It has nothing to do with you. You are accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, period. You're accepted by God because of something that happened historically. It's truth. And so we disconnect our identity from our actions. Our our actions no longer identify us. We were created to be his child. This is the process of the Christian life, to be. That's the word that God's been giving me all week, to be. Church, we need to be, to be who God has saved you to be. Not to be the best version of myself, not to be the best that you can be, not to be the best anything. Listen, Paul had it all. Paul was really good at doing it all. And he said that his best efforts were like garbage compared to knowing Christ. If your identities are, are, if our identity is wrapped up in our best efforts, we will inevitably be disappointed in life. God created you to be his child. And apart from that, nothing we do in life will ever matter if our identity is not first and foremost child of God. 
Now, this idea is very countercultural, very counter to what we see and hear in culture and into the way that many of us were raised. See, our culture tells us that our identity is defined by what we do. And so culture would say that doing is being, right? What you do, tell me who you are by letting me see what you do, in other words. See, the gospel tells us that what we do is defined by who we are, that we're not defined by what we do. So the gospel says that being is doing. You want to bring praise to the glory of God, function as a child of God first. Your identity should not be defined by your vocation. You're defined by God. God created us to be still and to know that God is God and we are not. We were made to enjoy. We were made to sit and savor the love and approval and goodness and presence of our Father. There's no good thing that we could ever do with our life that has any value or any impact apart from first and foremost being in Christ. The psalmist uh, in Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. If you've ever been in a Christian bookstore, you've read that a thousand times. It's on everything. Be still and know that I'm God. That's not even a third of the verse, though. After that, it says, And I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. You see, there, there's, it's like an invitation. You, you, you want more? You want to know God more? You, you want to see God honored in all the nations? You want to see God honored throughout the world? Be still. In the NASB, that, that phrase, be still, it's translated um, stop striving. Let your strivings cease as that old hymn starts off. See, a life that honors God requires stillness, not striving. Stop doing and simply be. Let your doing flow from being. Being who God saved us to be is how we bring praise to the glory of God. See, who we are flows from whose we are, and whose we are defines how we live. Yes, God has done wonderful things for us. Yes, God is doing wonderful things in our midst and in our lives and in our presence. And yes, God has promised good things, and He's faithful to complete the things He starts. But even though God has done great things, is doing great things, and will do great things for us, His plans and His purposes are not primarily about us. His plans and purposes are all about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, he writes it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He says, speaking of Jesus, that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in the heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You see, what were all things created for? Not for me. They're created for Jesus, by Jesus. It says he's before all things, and by him all things hold together. We exist for God's pleasure. We exist for God's glory, not our own. And so finding our identity and our purpose in Jesus brings God glory. Putting our hope in Christ brings glory to God. And that's what it means to live our lives for God's glory. 
Because God's plans and God's pleasure and God's purposes do not revolve around us, but around Jesus. And our failure to live from our identity in Christ, it leads us to live for our pleasure. It leads us to live for our glory. And it's never going to work out for us. We were not made to live for our glory. We were made to live for God's glory, for God's plans. We're not made for ourselves. We were created for God. And therefore, we only experience fulfillment when we live our life with God, choosing, choosing to to walk with God, dependent upon God for our identity, for fulfillment, for joy, for purpose in life. That's why we are scouring this passage verse by verse, because we want to settle our identity issues once and for all. We need to just deal with our religious uh, amnesia and, and hit it face on. And we need to surround one another and encourage one another and remind one another, like, bro, that is not who you are. Like that thing you're saying about yourself, that discouraging remark, that's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. God loves you. God's not far away from you. God's right there. He's not abandoned you. You think he's abandoned you. Turn to God. You draw near to him. He draws near to you. We need one another. The Holy Spirit will use you to edify and build one another up. We want to function from a self-understanding as a kingdom kid, focusing on what God has done for us, not on what we've done or what we're capable of doing. Longing for more of what God has in store for us. Desiring what God desires. It causes us to live for the glory of God and not for our own glory. And so today, in this passage, as we get back into Ephesians, as we consider living our lives for God's glory, today God is challenging us to know who we are and to be, to be who we were saved to be. To, to be, to function as a new creation. And if you've responded to the love of God by putting your faith in Jesus for salvation and the forgiveness of your sins, you've been born again. God has set you apart. He's adopted you into his family. You're a kingdom kid. You're a, a child of God. You've been brought in as close as a kid can be brought in. And as a kingdom kid, I'm going to give you a little teaser of next week. Next week's passage is so good. I can't wait. But it's the next two verses in verse 13 and 14. As a kingdom kid, this is true of you. It says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Okay, Jesus said to his disciples that were freaking out because he told them that he was going to be leaving them, right? And they're like, whoa, you know, don't leave us. And he's like, listen, it is better that I go. It's better that I go, that you would receive the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that was promised long ago. And then in verse 14, it says the Spirit is God's guarantee that he's, he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. You see how our identity is linked is, is completely tied to praise and, glory, and glorifying God. Now, some in here, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't know the Father's love. Maybe you don't have his Holy Spirit. Listen, you need to hear today, this is good news. You have a good Father who loves you. You have a good Father And you need to hear 
that today God has done everything, everything necessary to adopt you into his family. My 16-year-old Faith, she was in first service, so I could say this now. When we adopted her, she was cute, but she was just like fat and slobber is all she was. She didn't help us with the paperwork. She didn't help us with the finances. She didn't go to any of the court stuff except for the last one where she got a stuffed animal in a balloon. We did, we did everything that was necessary to bring her into our family. If you don't know God and you're thinking, well, gosh, I, I don't deserve that kind of love. I've not earned that kind of love. Listen, there's not a person in this room that has deserved or earned anything from God. We know God because of the grace of God. Because God's got all the paperwork filled out. God's got all the court fees paid. And today he's saying, come. Come, receive this free gift. Listen, the Father is inviting you in today. The Father is saying, come, I created you to be with me. I remember in the garden after Adam and Eve, like, just messed everything up, and then they're hiding from God, which is like, you know. But God comes down, and what does he do? He's like calling out for them, seeking after them. Listen, maybe God's calling after you today. Maybe today it's like God's like in the garden saying, hey, come on. You know you were created for more than that. You were created for more purpose than what you got going on in your life right now. You, you were created to receive and function with more acceptance and approval than what you're experiencing in life right now. You're getting ripped off by the liar, the one who deceives. Today, today's the day of salvation for some. If you do know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Christian, let this be a season. As we dig back into the word in Ephesians, let this be a season to form or maybe reform your foundation, your identity as a child of God, as a, as a kingdom kid. That you would function from that place of full approval, full acceptance, not based on what you've done, but based on the love of the Father through the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. Let this be a season to press in and know Jesus and bring him glory. We must know God's glory before we can praise it. And once we actually know God's glory, we can't help but praise it. And God's glory is this all-consuming obsession for those who know the glory of God. It's far more vast and valuable than anything we can achieve or create, the glory of God. God's glory is far more satisfying and joy-giving than anything we could plan or experience. God's glory is infinitely more intimate and personal than the best marriage or friendship. And this morning, we're going to worship God. I'm going to invite Brian and the worship team up here. We're going to worship God. We're going to respond to the Word of God now. And, and here's, here's the deal. I, I really have, have been hearing and, and have been impressed to be praying for the church this week that we would just be that we would be still, that we would stop our striving and be still and know that God is God and hear, hear God's vocabulary. Listen. I know we're tempted to sing. And let the singing, when you're, when you're released to sing, let the singing be an expression of what God has done and is doing on the inside as you exalt him. Don't just sing because you feel like it's rude and Brian's going to be offended or something like that. He's not offended. Just sit. Be still. Know that he is God. Know that he loves you and approves of who you are. 
Just sit and be who God has saved you to be. Let the, more, let the Lord remind you of who you are. If you don't know Christ today, there's going to be men and women, people up here on the right and the left, they're ready to pray for you. They're ready to talk to you. They're ready to like welcome you in to the family. Know and receive your Father's love. Your acceptance, enjoyment, and praise of God as a child of God brings God glory. Let's sit and be and glorify our Father today. Father, we praise you. And we set your name, Father, Yahweh, Provider, Emmanuel, above all other names. You are the Deliverer. You are the one who provides and meets us and pursues us right where we're at. And you are faithful. Lord, help us see you today. God, show us your glory. Reveal your love for your children today. Help us, God, each of us find our place in your family. We pray together, God, as your church, as your chosen people. God, we want to meet with you today. So we sit and we wait upon you now. Lord, help us to be still and to know that you are God.